Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. Oh, you know you are. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. Oh, my goodness. Here's a quote. See if anybody remembers this one. I want to be alone. Oh, shades of Greta Garbo. Anybody remember her? She was born Greta Lovisa Gustafsson, a Swedish-born American film actress, international star, and an icon during the 20s and 30s. And that was her famous line. What are we talking about? Well, let me pose a riddle to you. Did you hear the one about the major connectivity company that connected more new things to things than new people to people? Bada-bing. Okay, the answer is it's happening now. As the art of the possible instantaneously connects devices, innovative devices, fancy devices, cool devices. Come on, you know you either have them or you want them. Connects devices with people, processes, and results. The lines are blurring between professional connectivity and personal connectivity. We have a lot of questions because we're the future of business. Of course we do. Who is driving the Internet of Things digital innovation bus? Is it business? Is it academia? You know those people who used to be in the ivory tower. I don't know where they are now, but they think a lot. They study a lot. How about government? How about you and me as individuals? Hmm. Well, once we figure out who's driving the bus, where is the bus taking us? Do we really want to go there? And the ultimate question is, are we really ready to mass adopt a fully digital world? Very important question on the table. So going back to Greta Garbo, I want to be alone. I say to Greta Garbo, good luck with that. Not going to happen anymore. Let me tell you who our panelists are before I introduce them. We're, we have a, an all-SAP panel today. We have Gary Nelson, the North America Industry Lead for IMNC. We have Sharon Naidu, Industry Value Advisor Expert. She's been with SAP. She is with SAP's Industry Value Engineering Team, and we'll talk to her in a few minutes. And Bill Newman, our friend here, he's been on several Game Changer shows, Senior Industry Value Advisor with SAP America. So let's go back to Gary Nelson. And Gary sent me a quote from Bud Cadell. I didn't know who Bud was. C-A-D-D-E-L-L. He's the founder of N-O-B-L, all caps, no periods. N-O-B-L, think noble. And he's been focused on system design for over 15 years. Here is a quote in his bio, Bud's bio. Bud was undeniably born a nerd. And by the time he was 10, he was developing software. At 17, he was the lead engineer at a venture-backed startup. Uh, Adweek listed Bud Cadell among the top 50 industry professionals of 2012. The Guardian named him one of 10 digital strategists to watch in 2012. His work has been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and Ad Age. Here's the quote Gary has selected from Bud Cadell. Quote, there is no digital strategy anymore, just strategy in a digital world. That's profound. Gary Nelson, how are you? I'm fine, Bonnie. How are you this morning? I'm well. Thank you for asking. I love the quote, and, and Bud Cadell is somebody who is new to me. Are you a big fan or follower? And, and uh, talk to us about how this quote relates to our topic, and what would Greta Garbo say if she heard about what Bud Cadell is doing, Gary? <laughs> well, first of all, I have to tell you that I'm not uh, a longtime Bud Cadell follower, but a colleague of mine, uh, Chet Harder, who's... Um, a North American industry lead for automotive at SAP and, and works closely with Bill Newman, um, another one of our, our panelists here today. 
mm-hmm. brought the quote to my attention, and uh, I found it compelling because my customers don't always speak to me in terms of thought leaders or or marketing folks talks. They don't necessarily say I want to do something with my digital transformation. They're more likely to tell me that you know in order to improve customer satisfaction or service revenue, I want to connect to my customers, and I want to do that via the machines that I sell them. So Internet of Things, Industry 4.0 connectivity. Or they might tell me they want to you know, modernize their e-commerce capabilities, one-stop shopping for the customers, um, or you know, they want to connect with all of their suppliers for improved procurement um, functionality and, and, and things that will expedite and make it paperless for procurement. So for me, the Bud Cadell quote, you know, it resonates because my day-to-day dealings with these industrial manufacturing enterprises, um, I think it, it makes more sense to them that they're working on a strategy in a digital world. They're not focused on a, on a digital strategy per se. Thank you, Gary. Before I, I move to Sharon, question for you. Do you agree that it's a fact that companies are connecting more things to things than people to people? Do you think that's happening already? Well, I think certainly from a, a percentage increase, it is absolutely true. The uh, the customers I work with in industrial machinery and components are uh, have been doing this for quite some time. A lot of heavy equipment companies, uh, rail car manufacturers, and so on have been have been monitoring equipment for quite some time, and it's only increasing. And um, you know, there there's still a lot of people to people and and so on connectivity as well. But I think the the hockey stick, the growth is in more Internet of Things, machine-to-machine. Thank you very much, Gary. Pleasure to have you on the show. We'll be hearing a lot more from you later. I'm tweeting about your quote on Bud Cadell here. By the way, to our listeners, if you're not familiar with where we are, we're on hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. That spells S-A-P Radio. Love to have your questions and comments and anything you're interested in telling us or sharing with us. I will try to read the live quotes, the live tweets while we're on the air. Thank you, Gary. And now let's move on to our second newcomer to Game Changers, as well as Gary. She is Sharon Naidu, N-A-I-D-U, and Sharon has sent me a quote from Douglas Rushkoff, and coincidentally, in my readings over the weekend, I saw another quote from Douglas Rushkoff, and I've never heard of him before, so I want to thank Sharon for the introduction. Rushkoff was born in 1961. He's an American media theorist, writer, columnist, lecturer, graphic novelist, and documentarian, best known for his association with the early cyberpunk culture and his advocacy of open source solutions to social problems. Let me just read a little bit about what he's best known for. He coined the terms and the concepts, including viral media or media virus, digital native, and social currency. Rushkoff has written 10 books on media, technology, and culture. He wrote the first syndicated column on cyberculture for the New York Times. He also writes for the Daily Beast, The Guardian of London, Arthur, Discover, etc., etc., etc. And what's near and dear to me is that he's currently a professor of media theory and digital economics at City University of New York, Queens College. Queens College is about 20 minutes from where I am talking to you right now. So there, that's one of the five boroughs of New York. Here is the quote Sharon has selected from Douglas Rushkoff. Quote, we are looking at a society increasingly dependent on machines, yet decreasingly capable of making or even using them effectively. Sharon Naidu, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Good morning, Bonnie. Well, thank you. Thanks for the introduction. Oh, lovely to have you here. I was so pleased that you introduced me to somebody new, Douglas Rushkoff. Tell me, are you a big fan or follower, and are you are you a part of the early cyberpunk culture, do I dare ask, Sharon? <laughs> 
<laughs> not, not, not an early adopter, unfortunately a late adopter, but I'm very interested in a book that he's produced called Program or Be Programmed, Ten Commands for a Digital Age. Uh, I just thought that uh, the book was very thought-provoking. The quote that I selected was thought-provoking, and I believe it extends the conversation today beyond businesses and takes it out to government as well as individuals, and individuals from high schoolers all the way through adults. And I thought it very relevant for today's topic, which is the future of business, uh, when connected things surpass connected people. Um, Thank you. May I add to my? May I add? Sure, to I please, please that? do. Absolutely. Um, and I do, and I do want to add to some of the the, the questions that you had for Gary around smart things. So mm-hmm. let's fast forward to 2020. The world's population is expected to grow to about seven billion. What's interesting is that over four billion people will have access to internet. And there will be about 6 billion smartphones in use. And numbers ranging between 30 to 50 billion have been thrown out about smart things being connected to the Internet. So as you can see, with developing technologies and networks, that's going to change the way we as individuals um, act on our daily lives, how we operate. And that's scary. And, and that has a significant impact to businesses. It has impact to organizations and governments about what the jobs of the future are going to be and what skills are needed. Uh, we look at roles that have been in, that are, are recently in the front, like data scientists. We did not hear about that 10 years ago, even five years ago. So things are going to be changing, and they're going to be, we're going to see an acceleration of, of new jobs that are going to come to the forefront. Um, and a, an interesting statistic that was thrown out as well is that 55% of children that are going to primary school now mm-hmm. will ultimately end up working in jobs, completely new jobs, and, and, and jobs that do not exist currently. So therefore, it's, it's important um, to understand that this is something that not only impacts businesses, but impacts government, impacts individuals as well, impacts our uh, society. Thank you, Bonnie. Oh, thank you, Sharon. Very, very interesting. I was going to ask you about the skills gap. We talk about that on many of our Game Changer shows, and I think you've addressed that. Thank you, Sharon. Pleasure to meet you, and thank you for the very interesting information. And now let's turn to Bill Newman. I think he was recently on one of our Future of Cars with Game Changer shows. He's one of our car guys at SAP. And Bill has sent me a quote from John Lennon, The Beatles, and the quote is from the song Come Together. It's actually the lyrics, and it's from the album bill i did my homework abbey road released in 1969 bill newman do you know the source of how this song came to be do you want me to tell a little bit of trivia on it bill i think i think you're going to tell our listeners bonnie I, I think I am. Timothy Leary, and anybody who doesn't know him, I'm not going to tell you who he was. Just look him up, L-E-A-R-Y, wanted to run for governor of California, and he asked John Lennon to write a song. The song was Come Together, Join the Party. Then he never really did too much with the campaign, and the slogan still gave the idea to Lennon for the song. Uh, he gave it up, and... John Lennon decided to just use nonsense lyrics, and I'll read a little bit of that right now. Uh, Paul Paul McCartney, one of the other Beatles, recalled in Rolling Stones magazine's 500 Greatest Songs, I said, let's slow it down with a swampy bass and drums vibe. I came up with the bass line, and it all flowed from here. Uh, anyway, bottom line is fast forward. We go to Phil Spector. I think it was Phil Spector. There was a lawsuit that the guitar riff and the line, Here Comes Old Flattop, was stolen from Chuck Berry's You Can't Catch Me. The 
lawsuit came from Morris Levy, one of the music industry's most infamous characters, who bought thousands of early rock and roll songs from many poor, black, and unrepresented artists. Levy sued John Lennon over the song about the time the Beatles broke up. Anyway, the bottom line is that Levy wanted a rock and roll album, and Lennon wanted the exposure, and they all put it together, and blah, blah, blah. Phil Spector was the... Uh, Phil Spector stole the, the tapes. Bill, Phil Spector stole the studio tapes. <laughs> this is an album that certainly had quite a history. Anyway, here's the line that Bill has selected. Uh, let's see... I know you, you know me. One thing I can tell you is you got to be free. Come together right now over me. And in case you're wondering about some of the nonsense lyrics, here come old Flat Top. He come grooving up slowly. He got juju eyeball. He won holy roller. He got hair down to his knee. Got to be a joker. He just do what he please. Come together. Bill Newman, thanks for the look back in history. How are you, Bill? I'm good, Bonnie. Glad I could pump you with one of those Beatles books this morning. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. You told me you owed me a Beatles song, and here we go. I so did. talk to me. One thing I can tell you is you got to be free. Come together right now. So you've got two thought, thoughts here uh, from John Lennon, courtesy of, of the late, great John Lennon. Too bad he's not here yeah. to hear you quoting him, Bill. You've got being free and come together, and we're talking about connectivity. So why don't you put it all together for us? Yeah, so one of the things that we've been, you mentioned the Future of Cars um, show, one of the things that we've been talking on this, this season has really been about, you know, how autonomous vehicles and how connected vehicles, and we'll talk about why those are different, um, are really important to the driver-consumer. And the driver-consumer wants everything. They want to be able to get in the car, associate with the car, use the car as a medium, a channel, um, very ubiquitous, just like how our cell phones have become. They do a lot more than just um, make phone calls. And the, the, the challenge that we have is, is that everybody's coming at it with different platforms. And um, whether you want your car to figure out, you know, what if you need a new, another gallon of milk because your refrigerators talk to the car and then the car pulls up some location-based services, those those platforms to the consumer just seem really simple and easy to use, but in fact, there's a lot of technology behind it. And being able to come up with you know the 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 right information brokering between all of the different platforms, you know, we have CarPlay and we have you know um, uh, Apple Car, and there are some things that um, are emerging, but structurally, we still have a long ways to go. And so that was the you know the come together part, you know, suppliers. Suppliers, consumers, um, transportation, car makers, we all have to come together to figure out how we do that. And, and, and we've done that before with other standards. So that was, that was kind of the push for the John Lennon quote this morning. Thank you very much. Thanks for a look back at Memory Lane. I do remember the song. Um, you remember it too, don't you, Bill Newman? Very well, right? Oh. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I won't ask our other panelists, so we don't do age age on the show. <laughs> Gary Nelson, I'm circling back right. to you. I think we've already gotten a little high on the Beatles uh, and thinking about Abbey Road and come together. Gary Nelson, this is the part of the show where we get a little bit up close and personal. I think I warned you on our prep call. We want to know, number one, where are you calling from? And number two, what's in your cup today? Or tell us a little bit of a beverage story that brings out a little bit of your personality and tells us what you like to drink. So, Gary Nelson. Thanks, Bonnie. Well, first off, I'm from Chicago, and I'm in the uh, Chicago suburbs right now. And I'm speaking to you um, in, a, in a little cubicle where it's nice and quiet, so I can tell you that what's in my coffee cup is uh, Swedish glug. 
I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. No, I, tell me, what is that? Well, I just shifted gears because you went to Garbo, and uh, and she's a world-class Swede, so I thought I would uh, shift to my Swedish drink. My father and family, long-time recipe that came over from Sweden is uh, mostly a holiday drink. And uh, there's a lot of healthy stuff in Glug, and there's raisins, and there's cloves and cinnamon sticks and almonds and cardamom seeds and all kinds of nice things. And then the real good stuff that goes in is uh, you put uh, some grain alcohol and some whiskey and <laughs> some port wine, and you put it all together and bring it to a boil, and at some point you light it on fire to, to burn <laughs> off some of that good grain alcohol. And uh, you dance around like crazy as it's burning, and it turns into a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful warm holiday drink. And, of course, I won't have it uh, in my cup until later uh, today, and by later I mean lunch. But uh, that's, that's, my, uh, that's what I want in my coffee cup. Well, I've, I love the story, and I looked it up. It's Glog, G-L-O-G-G, and I have a recipe here on allrecipes.com. I won't read it, but this one has blanched almonds and raisins, muscatel wine, and port wine or burgundy, plus two cups of brandy. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And I'm thinking if you drink enough of this, Gary, all of the lyrics to come together will make perfect sense. Am I right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I just I have to mention real quick on Come Together, if you recall, in the late 60s, there was a lot of uh, rumors that McCartney was dead, and uh, there was signals and, you know, things that were embedded in the songs, and if you played Sgt. Pepper backwards, mm-hmm. you got I Barry Paul and so on. And uh, Come Together right now, Come Together Over Me was one of those lines that was interpreted as possibly Paul was, uh, you know, everybody was standing around him in the cemetery, and I think I was—I think I was one of the uh, the screaming teenagers in the in the let's see in the mid '60s when the Beatles debuted, and I did see them on the Ed Sullivan Show. My grandmother called up and she said, "Quick, there are four boys with long hair. I think it's wigs. Watch now, Ed Sullivan. Goodbye." And then she hung up. That all she did was tell us what to watch, and she hung up. Goodbye. Those were the those were like the social media of the the day. Was my grandma Rose? Anyway, <laughs> um, yes, very very interesting. Thank you very much. I was one of those screaming girls uh, who went to see everything or bought everything related to the Beatles. And we were goo-goo eyes over Paul McCartney. He was the heartthrob for many of us. And I think I remember that news that he was gone. And we were wondering, how would Jane Asher ever survive without Paul McCartney? At the time, pre-Linda. But I digress. Sharon Naidu, time for us to find out where are you calling from and what are you drinking today? Bonnie, I'm calling from Chicago. I'm in one of the neighborhoods off downtown Chicago. Uh, in my mug, since it's mid-morning, I have a herbal tea called Roybush. Um, mm-hmm. Translated to English means red bush. It is a, a herbal tea from South Africa. The plant grows in a mountainous area, and the, the, the broom-like leaves are used to make the herbal tea. It's called red bush tea in, in other parts of the world. It's very popular in South Africa, has been popular for many generations consumed now across in, uh, the world in many countries. Um, interesting fact about it is that the early settlers in South Africa learned to drink the rooibos tea as an alternative to black tea, which was very expensive. It was an expensive commodity. And also, um, you know, they relied on supply ships that were going to the, the Cape of Good Hope to, to get their black tea. So rooibos was a good alternative. Uh, I'm happy to report that, uh, you know, Roybos is no longer just drawn from a mug. You can now find very innovative cocktails. There's actually a Roybos cocktail movement uh, in many bars across the world. 
So that's what I have in my mug today. Thank you very much. Interesting story. I love the back story about it, Sharon. Thank you. And, well, Bill Newman, I know you have a favorite drink. I think you're about to give us a recipe similar to the one that Gary Nelson shared. But I'm wondering, a line from Come Together, Bill, is he wear no shoe shine. He got toe jam football. He got monkey finger. He shoot Coca-Cola. So <laughs> what are you drinking today, Bill Newman? <laughs> no, no Coca-Cola. Sorry, sorry, but uh, maybe maybe later, maybe later. But uh, it's coffee this morning, so a little bit of peach coffee. Um, I'm in uh, the Detroit area today. Uh, but, um, you know, I think most, most of your listeners uh, would know by now that I'm a bit of a food and wine enthusiast. We were on our beach vacation recently, and to just switch gears a little bit, uh, family comes home with some dark beer stout, that's coffee-flavored, and I have to say, I was a little skeptical mm. at first, but it was really exciting with um, grilled burgers. So um, so there's that, and uh, just a shout-out to, uh, to, to Gary as, as well from a holiday perspective. I've tweeted my Irish cream recipe, so your listeners can go to uh, SAP Radio and find that and uh, enjoy that for the holiday as well. And would you believe that Pete's Coffee is actually now following us on Twitter? I don't know who tweeted or who mentioned, but I just got Pete's Coffee. At Pete's Coffee is now following on Twitter. I'm watching this stream. We must have had 50 retweets come in since I started the show 20 minutes ago. I cannot believe this. And by the way, uh, David Fowler at SAP, who's the sponsor of the show, tweeted well he im'd me his coffee he says he's having a short french roast coffee with french vanilla creamer ooh la la and mr newman i have to tell you i just came back from a very brief trip to newport rhode island and we ordered my my friend and i ordered a blueberry beer and i'm not sure what the beer was all about but it had real blueberries floating in it and it was absolutely delicious it was a little on the amber color size side and uh, the blueberries were floating so when when my friend was finished with the beer when he was done i fished out the blueberries and enjoyed them so beer flavored blueberries is that something that normally happens when they give a flavor a fruit flavor to beer they put the fruit in it bill uh, they could do that. Oh, I don't know. Gary might know better than me, but uh, there could be some mash that they put in, and then they can extract it when they when they actually go to to uh, filter or or pour out the beverage. But that's that's pretty typical um, wine making or beer making technique, right? So it's, well, uh, it was good. Gary, any good. quick comment all on good. that, Gary? Uh, no, I'm from the south side of Chicago, and you don't float fruit in your beer. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, my friend. Touche. I appreciate that very much. We sit corrected. I shouldn't have mentioned it. But by the way, I'm drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear cup with a cool, clear straw because they do not let me go anywhere near caffeinated beverages on radio show today's. And today is a... Uh, double header. We have this show, Future Business with Game Changers, and at 2 p.m. Eastern, I will be back with Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers as well. So, yes, talking about content is king. I think we can all agree with that. I'm speaking today with Gary Nelson, with a great panel. Gary Nelson, Sharon Naidu, and Bill Newman. Shout out to, of course, David Fowler. I don't know if he's traveling today, but I know he's enjoying his cup of something good and hot. And we're going to be taking a very brief, quick break. Brief and quick. I think those are the same things. So don't even think of touching that mouse. That app, that dial, we will be right back. Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. Indeed, this is the future of business. If you blink, it will be the present and the past of business, but we're talking about the future. It's going to happen any second now. I'm speaking today with Gary Nelson, Sharon Naidu, and Bill Newman, and we're talking specifically about when connected things surpass connected people. Think IoT, think industrial IoT, think connectivity, devices, innovations. We're talking about all of that. We're about to kick off the roundtable in earnest, and I'm going to start with Gary Nelson. Gary told me in his notes before the show, and he's going to focus, obviously, from his background on IM and see that's industrial machinery and components industry. Gary says the world of IoT in IM and C is very much in the Wild West phase of possibilities. There are, however, three leading areas of concentration businesses are deploying. I'm going to stop there and let Gary expand this, and then we will invite Sharon and Bill to comment. Gary, please go ahead. Yeah, sure. The the point about the Wild Wild West is that um, there's a lot of um, talk about the Internet of Things, and there's a lot of things going on with Industry 4.0, as uh, it's referred to in, in Germany and Europe. And it, a lot of the, the standards and techniques are emerging. So industrial machinery and component companies in general, are, I think, are an interesting case study for this because they're, they've never been uh, considered... Uh, you know, early adopters in most things. Some folks might consider them laggards in a lot of things and technologies. They don't rush to the to the next shiny new toy. Uh, it's got to have mm-hmm. business value and uh, absolute solid reasons for you know impacting their customers. And the Internet of Things, long before we called it the Internet of Things or Industry 4.0, has been something that a lot of the heavy equipment folks have been been dealing with. They recognized very early on the importance. Their customers are, are uh, asset-intensive um, environments, and uptimes of the machine and overall equipment efficiencies are, are critical. So folks like, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, rail car manufacturers, um, mining equipment, um, you know, a, a wide variety of heavy equipment manufacturers have been doing some monitoring early on. And some of it was even machine to machine, we'll call it, versus Internet of Things. You know, in, inside the four walls of a plant, you've got uh, companies that have been monitoring machine performance and uptime for quite some time. So the, the Wild Wild West part, I think, is going to change uh, in the not too distant future where there will be some established 
protocols that, that companies will share when communicating. And there will be some uh, industrial internets that will emerge. There will be several that will emerge early on, and then it will probably go down to, to a, a, sub, a significant um, few. And these are the things that I think are going to change, um, you know, in the near term. For example, one of the uh, one of the companies that um, I'm familiar with is a company called Kaiser Compressor out of uh, Coburg, Germany. And Kaiser was in a situation where their customers wanted uh, they they build commercial compressors for manufacturing plants. So one of the things that their customers wanted was to be able to use compressed air without having a center of expertise for maintaining compressors. Mm-hmm. So they actually uh, did that. They monitored their they monitor now some of their equipment. They do predictive maintenance on it. They actually own the equipment and then they bill monthly for the the amount of air that the customer uses. And you can so you can think of it as air as a utility. And I hear that again and again with um, industrials from commercial boilers. I want to sell hot water I don't want to sell boilers um, to a tenant up in Minneapolis. In the Minneapolis area, they make uh, floor cleaning equipment that's used everywhere from plants to, to airports. Uh, Bonnie, you're probably familiar with them if you've seen it in the airport or somewhere in public where their their folks are cleaning the floors. There's a good chance they're pushing a tenant mini Zamboni type machine around mm-hmm. to clean it. And, and tenant now monitors those machines, and at some point, um, you know, the, the guess is at some point their customers are going to want to buy clean floors, not floor cleaning equipment. So more and more companies are, are looking to do that, and that's going to, I think, make the adoption of relatively standard uh, protocols and so on. Um, it's going to make that adoption that much faster. Thank you, Gary. Sharon Naidu, love to have you jump in and talk about what Gary just introduced. Gary, Thank you, Gary. Um, Gary talked about what is happening largely in what we call the industrial machinery and components industry, IMNC. Um, there is, and I work in the consumer products uh, industry. By the way, the consumer products industry is now being termed the um, uh, outcome industry, the consumer outcomes industry as opposed to consumer products. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because I wanted to highlight that in Consumer products, IoT is all about the consumer. However, there are overlapping areas. Industry lines are blurring. So consumer product companies, while still regard uh, consumers to be key, they're also looking at areas such as connected shop floor, predictive maintenance, and the analytics associated with it to be able to streamline operations, uh, streamline the supply chain to get product out to the customers and consumers faster. The, um, the standards and uh, technology that is in play within the industry that Gary talked about is also in play within the consumer products uh, industry, or as we call it, the consumer outcomes industry. Thank you, Sharon. Bill Newman, love to get your POV. I know you're focusing on automotive. What's your thought here, Bill? Yeah, well, I think one of the challenges that automotive has is that they're just getting, you know, it's it's really a convergence of a number of different industries, so... Uh, the driver consumer is a consumer. They, they, to Sharon's point, do have a real interest in specific outcomes, um, very strong interpersonal relationship with the products, in this case the vehicle that they use. 
Um, and they're also manufacturers. So to, to Gary, your point, you know, they also do have to do uh, work with uh, how do I put things together, how do I build things, machine-to-machine technology, et cetera. Um, it, it's just very interesting depending upon what lens you look at it. You know, if I'm the, if I'm the builder of a product, I, I come at it with a more industrial lens. If I'm coming at it from a consumer, I'm looking at things uh, more from that interpersonal relationship. At, at the end of the day, as I mentioned in, my, in the opening segment with the uh, song lyric, we're going to need to really boil this down and make it simple for the driver-consumer, even to the point where we give the driver-consumer the option to have um, transportation as a service without technically owning a vehicle in, as we would expect to do in today's day and age. And that has ramifications for... Um, transportation, road construction, uh, insurance industries, because now technically the OEM brand or whoever the fleet owner is actually owns the vehicle and not the driver. And, uh, again, we're going to have to really start to come together on a number of these uh, topics and really figure out how we do that. The funny thing, the technology mm-hmm. exists to do all of this. The, the baffling thing is that the policies and the regulations and the standards we need to enable the technology, many of them don't exist. And so um, that's why many people believe that we won't get to a fully connected consumer driver experience until 2030 or beyond. We could, we could we're doing it today in, in Michigan at the uh, uh, connected vehicle M-City that we have over in Ann Arbor near University of Michigan. But to actually push that into society, we're not ready as a society yet. Thank you very much, Bill. Very interesting. Um, Gary Nelson, I'm going to give you a moment to wrap this up. I like to say with a a big red bow if you want to, and then I'm going to move on to some topics from Sharon Naidu's list. So, Gary, anything you want to add to what your co-panelists just shared? Uh, No, I think, well, there's one comment I want to make to Bill. I I, I need that car to be, uh, the driverless car to be sped up a little bit because I'm, uh, you know, at some point I'm going to hit an age where they're going to take my driver's license, and I would prefer not to lose yep. that freedom. Exactly. So, uh, driver, I need a driverless car when I hit that exactly. age. Exactly. You, you, we, we all do, Gary. Yes, we're all working towards that goal. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, Gary, to that point, I was recently reading a novel by a gentleman named, I believe it's Michael Dow, D-O-W. It's called Dark Matter or Dark Matters, and it's a futuristic novel where the this is – significantly in the future, where a company of trillionaires who are basically your elite, I think your elite technocrats, uh, are running the world in a secret underground company, many floors under the surface from a, from a building somewhere in a major city. But it opens with a man and his wife and daughter driving home in a car that's so driverless, there's not even a front seat, there's no steering wheel, there's nothing, and it's programmed for the route he wants, and they want to eliminate him from the company. So as it goes over a very narrow bridge, heading out to the dune country on the South Fork on Long Island, out to the Hamptons, the the car doesn't stay on the bridge, and as it goes over, this gentleman realizes that 
his time had come because somebody reprogrammed his car. The car cannot make mistakes. So you wouldn't even need to know anything other than who has access to your controls, Gary. Anyway, as the car goes over the edge into the deep, the briny deep, as they say, his comment is, those bastards. And then he disappears with his family into the water, and they name a new head of the company the next day. So don't worry a thing about a driverless car. We'll have one for you, Gary. Just a question of who did you tick off who's who has access to the programming on the car. But that's a kind of a dark matter. I think it's Michael Dow. Very interesting novel. I interviewed him on uh, my personal radio show, Read My Lips, a couple months ago. Fascinating book. Okay, Sharon and I do. I've digressed too much. Sharon's talking mostly about consumer products. Sharon has some interesting advice here, Sharon, uh, on IoT strategy. Let me just read a little and have you jump in. Sharon says, companies embarking on an IoT strategy will need to define First and foremost, why are you pursuing an IoT strategy? You need a solid purpose. Once you've defined that, you need to focus on your strategy, your people, your process, and your technology with the goal of achieving cost efficiency. And here's the key for me, consumer centricity. Sharon, why don't you elaborate for us, please? So I mentioned earlier that the consumer products industry is becoming a digital enterprise and it's now becoming a consumer outcome. Mm-hmm. The, the four areas that uh, I mentioned earlier, or you mentioned around strategy, people, process, technology, impacts not just consumer products, impacts other industries as well. Um, it's important for companies to understand their IoT strategy, but link the IoT strategy back to their business strategies. Uh, good examples, um, and I'm going to step outside of consumer products, uh, a CEO of a major financial institution recently said, we're no longer a bank, but we're a technology company in the financial services industry. Mm. Uh, we've had other examples, if you, if you look at um, uh, uh, Under Armour. Under Armour is no longer selling shirts and uh, sportswear and shoes. It's now a technology company that's connecting over 38 million people on their digital health uh, platform. Uh, we look at companies like Red Bull. It's no longer a beverage company. It's now a content media company. It spans mm-hmm. web, it's social, it's you know, print, music. Um, it's creating a brand that, um, you know, a brand experience of joy and adventure and fun. So, so that's important. Um, when we look to companies, they need to tie their company strategy back to their IoT strategy um, and understand the, the, the importance of gaining cost efficiencies as well and, and moving towards becoming more consumer-focused, consumer-centric. And, and you know, as with any strategy, early movers are going to create a competitive advantage. They will differentiate themselves uh, in the marketplace. Uh, it's also that as they, as they move towards their strategic business drivers and, and uh, business drivers, they also need to understand who owns the strategy and who's responsible for developing the IoT business case. Often cases, it's not IT, but it's it's um, line of businesses outside of IT. Uh, in the people front, um, we need to make sure that companies have the right people to be able to execute their IT uh, IoT strategy. Uh, often cases, organizations are stretched very thin uh, with their resources, and and often cases lack skill sets to be able to envision the IoT strategy. Um, so companies will start to place more emphasis on upskilling or even going outside to bring in the, the necessary skills. Um, key skills that um, are trending in the IoT space and the digital uh, area is around 
data scientists, data management, and analytics. When we start to look at processes, some of the processes are going to change to support the way we need to react real-time in, in the business environment. Um, companies are going to look to modernize their platform to move to a very agile platform that allows them to adopt new business models, new outcome models, um, and that's going to have an impact on people as well in terms of change management and uh, the importance of their role in, in the digital transformation. Lastly, technology, both Gary and, and um, Bill outlined things that are happening in their industries and the impacts around technology, technology standards. But what's important to note is that we're going to be moving away from traditional IT architecture to more cloud-based, more mobile solutions. Uh, companies are going to be making investments in big data, analytics, agile platforms. Um, these are all uh, elements that are the cornerstone for an IoT uh, solution. We're going to see movement to more cloud services, open source uh, software, and um, as we said, hopefully standards that bring the integration within the, the IT landscape, the technology landscape, or make it easier to go forward. Thank you, Sharon. Very interesting. Good uh, good primer or primer, however you say it. Bill Newman, love to get your comments on what Sharon added, and then we'll circle around to Gary briefly. Bill? Well, I think it was interesting, Sharon, you point out, you know, the, the, that banks consider themselves different other than banks now, and I think that really goes to the point that we're having a lot of industries converge, business models, disruption. Um, from an automotive perspective, automotives have viewed themselves, particularly the, the larger uh, supplier and, and, and OEM brand companies, they actually view themselves as banks that simply make cars and automobile parts. Um, one of the reasons that um, that has actually shifted their strategy uh, as we look to how things connect and how people connect has been this whole idea of, well, if I have subscriptions, then it's ratable income. My stock does better. Um, and you, you can look at a, at a very proven business model, and that's being able to deliver communications to a vehicle. Um, GM's OnStar and Ford Sync Connect have been around for years. They've partnered with many of the carriers. And again, they're, they're using their product as a, as a channel, just like we would use our phone or our laptop or PC or tablets, to be able to bring that information into consumers, and consumers are willing to pay for it. Uh, I'm probably not alone in saying that I've, now that you have, you can get 4G into your car, um, and, you know, because of what we do, we're, we're in the car and on the road quite a bit. I have multiple online subscriptions, both with work and personal cell phones, as well as the data service that I have to my car, which also allows me location-based services and uh, GPS. Um, and all of this translates back into the fact that we're, we're connected, we're connecting to things, we're connecting to people, and, oh, by the way, at least in the automotive industry, that's a really smart business model for companies to um, do more and more a percentage of their business at high margin um, in the subscription data space. Thank you, Bill. Gary Nelson, thoughts, please? Well, are we talking, Bonnie, now to, towards where we think everything's going or just in comments back to, to what Bill was just discussing? Just co comments back to what uh, Sharon introduced and what Bill. You know, we're not ready for our predictions yet. We're just talking about what the, the topic that Sharon introduced and Bill added to. So go ahead. I'm sorry, Bonnie. I don't have any additional comments to add to it. 
Oh, okay, that's okay. fine. Oh, that's absolutely fine. Can I make a comment? Yes, yes, I was going to circle back to you, Sharon. Sharon, go ahead. Um, yes, so I love the idea of the automotive becoming a communication uh, vehicle, uh, and no pun intended. But wouldn't it be great now that we see appliance manufacturers thinking of adding cameras to the, the appliances, wouldn't that be great to connect it to the car and be able to have insights about what is needed in our pantries back at home and to mm-hmm. be able to stop at our nearest preferred grocery store to be able to buy those items or even be able to um, you know, use that information at the next available moment, be able to get online and purchase it, to have it shipped to our home. So the lines between um, industries are blurring. Um, It's all about the consumer, a consumer of uh, products that are food and beverage. It's the consumer of vehicles. Those lines are blurring, and 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 we are going to see more and more innovative solutions come out that makes the life of the consumer easier and changes it on a day-to-day operation. Definitely changes it. Bill Newman, uh, Sharon was talking about cars and connectivity. You want to make a quick comment on that before I move to something in your notes, Bill? Um, no, I, I think I think Sharon really you really highlight the fact that you know these industries are converging and and more and more uh, manufacturers have to begin to put their retailers hat on. They're outcome driven and they they need to look at, at new and exciting um, business models and. Uh, the way we've, in the auto industry, I think in another 20 years, Gary, to your point earlier, we really do hope that we have other um, consumer models that we can access cars that hopefully drive themselves and us around with them when we're not able to do so, or our kids before they get driver's license. So but mm-hmm. we're a long ways to go as a society to get there. We are a long ways to go. Thank you. And, Bill, I'm looking at your notes here. I think we've covered a lot of what you sent. But did you quote the McKinsey quote about 30 billion devices will be connected worldwide by 2020, which isn't far away, with the connected mm-hmm. content in vehicles will approach a value of $1.5 trillion by that time. Where did they get this uh, this from? What content are we talking about? It's whatever you do personally, your location, any choices you're making in your vehicles. And, Bill, what uh, location, what service? do you recommend? You said you have multiple subscriptions. Anything you want to recommend for connectivity in a car? I was curious. <laughs> I, well, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to make a pitch here for a particular carrier and uh, what have you. I think a lot of the vehicles that, we're, um, that we have coming out now are, are pretty standard that they actually have um, basic uh, 4G and LTE data services to, to the car. The McKinsey study is interesting, and, and I think we talked about it in a previous episode of the Future mm-hmm. of Cars program. Um, yes. You know, and, and, and it actually is in quite stark contrast to Sharon's opening remarks where we actually have a, a data gap, if you will, in terms of the number of uh, mobile devices to humans on the planet. So we're really looking at a bifurcated society where we've got haves and have-nots. The value that McKinsey's looking for um, in terms of the devices specific to a connected vehicle. So an autonomous vehicle is one that drives itself. A connected vehicle is one that interacts and interconnects with its surroundings, including other vehicles. And the Center of Automotive Research recently at their management briefing seminars um, made that very, very clear, and everybody kind of scratched their head and said, yeah, it makes perfect sense. So you've got information services that you're going to deliver to the vehicle. Who gets paid for that? So in the in the previous world, if I'm an automotive supplier like Delphi, who has a vehicle-to-everything platform, I build a part, I sell it to 
GM, Ford, Toyota, Chrysler, whoever, and I get paid for the part, and we're done. You know, I have a certain warranty to fix that part if something were to go wrong, and uh, NHTSA regulations and all of that here in North America. But if I'm actually delivering a platform that enables a subscription or a streaming, you get into this whole royalty conversation. Like, who owns that? Who owns the royalties that come in and out of that platform? Uh, what are the services that I can resell to go on the platform to get that royalty? The OEMs and the suppliers don't have that figured out, but it's a ton of money. And that is really what's driving all these new business model conversations around that. Um, and McKinsey looks at um, the interaction between the consumer, the interaction from brands pushing information to the consumer. I, I hope it's not like mobile phone ads, but, you know, visualize a world in the future where you may get pop-up ads. You know, I think even on some of the GPS apps that you can download to your phone, you you get a pop-up ad when you're close to, you know, a coffee shop and you have to pull off mm -hmm. the highway to get a coupon. That, that could happen in our car someday. And, and that's really where McKinsey was driving its value estimation. And um, um, it's, it's really quite incredible when you think about all the different possibilities that there could be. Bill, tell me something. I'm still thinking back to my quote from Greta Garbo, I want to be alone. Is it possible that in, by 2020 she could be in a car that wasn't connected to something, that people wouldn't know where she was, that she could actually drive off to a, I wouldn't say drive off a cliff, but she could drive into some kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, a forest or a glen or somewhere or to a lake and, and nobody would know where she was, or is that impossible? Well, I don't know. Gary might like Greta's voice in the car that drives him around to the doctor's <laughs> office in about 20 or 30 years. You know, that could be, you know, you could, you can dial up your own voice or maybe there's even just an off button that you can use. So maybe in the peaceful moments that you just want to drive your own vehicle, you can turn off some of the autonomous features and you can turn off the connectivity. And I actually think that's going to be a feature that's going to be pretty coveted in the in the new in the new connected world of cars. It, I think so too, Gary. I'd love to have you come chime in on this since we were channeling your name. Go ahead, Gary. Thoughts? <laughs> well, you know, I I find myself thinking more about some of the you know one degree of separation issues with with the subject. Um, it, it all the way up to the not the connected car bill, but all the way up to you know, the, the self-driving smart vehicle. I wonder what that does to public transportation. I wonder what that does to insurance. I wonder what does that do to the Department of Motor Vehicles if nobody needs a license. And those those are the things I don't have answers for, but those are, you know, the second, the ripple effects of some of the things that you were just talking about I think are very, uh, very interesting to, to, to think about. Indeed. And guess what, Gary? I channeled you, Bill channeled you, and now we are channeling ourselves up to the closing part of the show, and now we're ready for predictions. So officially, we're in the crystal ball predictions round here on Game Changers Radio. Gary Nelson, I'd love to have you take a peek into that crystal ball and see. Tell us, what time in the future will something change significantly? Our topic today is when connected things surpass connected people. So I'm going to give you, oh, we have time. Yeah, 60 seconds. Gary Nelson, what you see and how far out are we looking please well this is my uh this is my favorite part of it but looking into the future at this point the future keeps moving in so fast it's difficult but what what i think you're going to see uh quite a bit in the next even five years because it is changing is there's so many advancements in technology and other areas that i think are going to end up being used in manufacturing technologies like facial recognition and 
and gunshot detection are becoming you know increasingly accurate and I could see where some of these technologies could be used in manufacturing you know to detect emerging equipment problems and quality issues you know as the machine making subtle sounds and noises that aren't you know readily identified by the operator that the parts look good you know from a preliminary inspection so I think that that's uh, uh, you know a couple of things that are going to happen just increased technology being used on the manufacturing floor but even more than that, and this might be a little further out for wide adoption, but I've, I've seen examples of it today, is, is machine learning. You know, there's a, there's a company in uh, Germany, in, in Scharnhausen, Germany, called Festo. And uh, Festo designs equipment for material handling. And they have a new plant of the future. But like I said, the future is now. <laughs> this is their plant of the future, but it's, it's in operation today. Festo manufactures motion control equipment, so, so think pneumatic controllers for moving parts and positioning components on an, uh, an automated assembly line. They have a small fleet of automated build, uh, material handling equipment that they use for replenish component, replenishing components on the assembly line and moving finished products to stock and so on. And these machines actually collaborate. This is done with a lot of uh, um, advancements that Festo themselves has done. They collaborate and they're determining amongst themselves, these machines, what's the machine is best able to perform a certain task based on its location, its capabilities, and so on. And the designs were actually inspired by studying, studying the behavior of ants and how ants mm. communicate to work together to get a job done. You know, one ant can't lift much, but a bunch of ants can, can move a rubber tree plant. And, uh, oh, yeah. For, for the older <laughs> folks on the phone. But, High uh, hopes. High hopes. Yeah, Frank Sinatra, right? You got it. You got it. So I think that that's, that's very, very intriguing, and it's cutting-edge stuff. I mean, it, it would not have been possible. There had been automated guided vehicles and plants for a long time, but those mostly required hard wires in the plant floor. The vehicles followed along. The vehicle's intelligence would have been that if something's blocking its path, then stop, don't run it over. But now these, these things are actually communicating major increases in, uh, in efficiencies, and um, I think that you know, those are the types of trends that are, to me, most intriguing. And with the, the learning machines, I think you'll see some of those things uh, widely adopted maybe further out, but um, they're going to have such an impact on productivity and efficiency in these manufacturing plants that, that I think as the technology becomes readily available, it will be very quickly adopted. Thank you very much. And let's go to Sharon Naidu. We have, oh, two, two minutes left. Sharon, I'm going to give you 30 seconds for predictions. Go ahead. Uh, Bonnie, I think that um, I want to reiterate some of the points that uh, Gary made, and, and there will be change. We will see uh, new technologies uh, increasingly being used within the industry. I think that that is going to also accelerate the need um, for data and anal analyzing data and using that uh, to gain insight. And that data, I believe, is just going to feed into a cycle, and this is the IoT-based data as well, and that's going to feed into new innovations. It's going to you know, move into the areas of more robotics, augmented reality. Um, it's going to force new, new ways of managing security within an organization and also bring about more cognitive computing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bill Newman, 30 seconds. Make it fast. Go ahead, predictions. Well, I think we've covered a lot of really good ground on this um, show today. And I, I, I do think that, um, to Gary's point, you know, the future is, is coming at us pretty quick. I think there is a song. There's probably a song for another song in there, or another show in there. But, um, 
There is. You'll find it. Yeah, there is. We we have some real legwork to do as a society. We need to develop some standards and regulations to govern how we're going to go about um, giving the driver-consumer what they need. Um, We didn't even talk about what happens from a manufacturer's perspective if they own the fleet. Um, and the driver consumer doesn't. And these are all big, big questions that we're working through. A lot of manufacturers are working through them uh, individually to come up with their own business ideas. But at some point, the industry is going to have to come together. And it's not just in, in the case of automotive. Um, it's not just the automotive industry. But to, to Gary's point, the point we made earlier, um, it's going to be public sector. It's going to be uh, government. It's going to be insurance. It's going to be financial services. Um, and Bill, of course, thank um, you. Consumer. Yep. Thank you, Bill. We're out of Fine. time. I want to thank Gary Nelson, Sharon Naidu, and Bill Newman. Shout out to David S. Fowler for putting this great panel together. We are just about out of time. And a shout out to Justin and the Business Channel team for getting us on the air and keeping us on the air. This is the future of business with Game Changers. And by the way, the future is... It's gone. Right after that pause, after the word is, it's already the past. So go out there and do it. Here's my call to action. You all know what's coming up. Fasten your seatbelt. Talking about cars, Bill. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'll be back 2 p.m. today, September 8th at Eastern Time with Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.